Romans chapter 11. I think Mark saw this chapter and said, I think I'll go on holidays around this time. It'll be a good time to go on holidays. 32 verses. It can be some things that can be, uh, there's some different views about some of the different things that are mentioned in this passage. But I believe God has a word for us that will encourage us and build us up this morning. It's a long passage. I'm hoping that I have a short sermon for you because I think uh, there's some pretty key things that we can highlight this morning. But I want to ask you, have you ever felt as though you've done something that excludes you forever from either being part of a group, part of a church, part of a a work situation um, where you just think you've blown it and you just think you've burnt all your bridges and there's nothing that can be done about it. I had one experience where my first wife said to me about 25, 30 years ago, she said, Robin, I'm not letting you ever drive again. And the circumstances were, we, my daughters were teenagers at the time, we'd loaded up the station wagon about two o'clock in the afternoon, headed off for holidays from Marble Hill, got to Canalpin, lovely sunny day, really warm in the car, station wagon loaded up, three teenagers in the back, and I slowed down to the speed limit, and as I slowed down, took my foot off the accelerator, I just went to sleep, and suddenly... I was woken up, I drifted right across the other side of the road, a young girl off to uni had stopped to have a rest so that she wasn't too sleepy, and I caught the back wheel of her car, I woke up with a big, with a crash happening, heard all the noise that woke me up, the car was locked into full revs, the front wheel was like that, and it was dust going everywhere, took out a road sign, cut the bonnet, and ended up sitting on the bank, uh, on the, was locked into full revs, and it took me, hit the brake, brake line was gone, so there's no stopping the car immediately, 100 metres down the, down the road, I had the presence of mind to turn the ignition off and we came to rest just sitting on the, the bank, went up on the side of the road and my three daughters were fine, one had a little tiny bit of glass in her ear, uh, just sitting in her earlobe and uh, everybody was fine, the girl in the other car was fine and as we got out of the car, Lynn said, I'm not letting you ever drive again, I thought I can understand that took an hour for the police to come because there was dust everywhere. They called ambulances and police and uh, it was quite a unique situation. Um, the, uh, the girl who was in the other car sitting waiting for the police, she was a Christian girl. Off to, she was a part of the Evangelical Fellowship at uni. As we were sitting across the table as the police took our statements, um, she just reached across us. The, the policeman had finished doing what he had done and his friend said, oh, can I pray for you? And so she reached across the table and prayed for me because I was feeling about this big, thinking that what my wife said is a fair call. Um, within 24 hours, we had, we'd written off my car and the other car. We borrowed Lynn's brother's car um, and filled it up and went on on our holiday and left two cars there at Canalpin. So, um, but my wife, within 24 hours, she, she was happy for me to drive. What I had thought was the end of the situation wasn't the end of the situation, she still allowed me, uh, rightly or wrongly, to, uh, to, to, to continue to drive uh, as we enjoyed another couple of weeks on holiday and sorted out the cars when we came home. But I want to raise the stakes even more. As a teenager, I remember being in tears, thinking I'd committed the unpardonable sin. I thought my eternal destiny had been blown because of the way I understood my faith, I understood things I'd said or done or thought and I was in tears and talked to my father about the fact that I thought that I maybe had committed the unpardonable sin. 
And wisely, my father, being a, a godly Christian man, he just said to me, one of the things he said, apart from sharing scriptures like nothing can separate us from the love of God in Romans, Romans 8, um, but he also said the very fact that you're worried about this probably shows that you haven't committed that sin. But he reassured me and I've spent the next, I won't say how many years because then you know how old I am, but uh, I've, I've, I've been reassured that uh, I'm still part of God's family by, by the grace of God. But in this passage, uh, in the chapter that um, Nat preached on last week, in, in chapter 10, the last verse says, uh, having affirmed the grace of God that came in Christ, that we are saved by faith, by grace through faith, the last verse says, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And the beginning of this chapter raises the question of, um, has, has God just written off Israel because they didn't recognise uh, Jesus and receive him? And the first thing I want to say this morning, letting the passage dictate the content of my sermon, not my own ideas, and I'm sharing how I've understood what God is saying through this passage. I've read more commentaries on this sermon than any other, spent more time reading articles and thinking about what's being said and what God is saying, searching in the Old Testament and the New Testament at different, when different issues were raised as I've wrestled with this. It's a long passage. 32 verses, but I'm hoping it is a short sermon. So we are into the first point. And uh, the first thing that this passage affirms is that despite Israel's rebellion and rejection of Jesus, grace is still for the Jews. And I'm going to read um, the, the passage in three sections and speak to it as I go through it briefly. Um, the first thing that uh, is affirmed, that as we think about the incredible grace of God, and not all the Jews, but many of them re didn't recognise Jesus or receive the grace that he offered. Um, the first uh, part of the passage says that God hasn't rejected the Jews. Verse 1 of chapter 11, starting and reading through to verse 10. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I, am alone, I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 uh, people who have not bowed to the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, as the questions asked about, has God rejected the Jews? So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But, it is, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says... Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. In their unbelief, they didn't receive the benefits of the grace of God, which is true of all who fail to recognise the grace and love of God. But God hasn't rejected the Jews from salvation. In verse 1 and 2, very clearly, the very first verses I read, God 
Has God rejected his people? By no means. For I am an Israelite, a descendant of, of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. But what about the whole question of Israel? This is where it gets a little controversial or could be a little controversial for some people. The nation of Israel, Israel as a people of faith who follow and receive and are part of God's family by faith. Uh, what is the answer to the question of Israel? Because it's significant in understanding uh, this passage. There are lots of mentions of Israel in Romans 11 in this passage. Um, and uh, today there are people who think that the Israel that's been spoken of is just the nation of Israel and they focus on God hasn't rejected them as a nation. Others believe that Israel is a Jewish nation plus the church and that God hasn't rejected either. Um, and then others would emphasise that Israel is all believing Jews and non-Jews uh, and not about a political kingdom. So I'm going to let God's word speak this morning and you may, many of you may go home and, uh, and uh, search the scriptures and read some commentaries and that's a good thing. A good sermon will cause you to ask some questions and be thinking and wrestling as you go home. But let me share uh, just briefly um, from, first of all, the passage we've just read emphasises that true Israel is chosen by grace. It says so too at the present time there is a remnant of Israel chosen by grace. And when you had a, when the, earlier in Romans in chapter 9, um, it says, and I'm reading uh, from the message, it says, from the outside, outset, not all Israelites of the flesh were Israelites of the spirit. It wasn't Abraham's sperm that gave identity here, but God's promise. Remember how it was put. Your family will be defined by Isaac. That means that Israelite identity was never racially determined by sexual transmission, but it was God determined by his promises. If it was just being descendants of Abraham, then all Jews, descendants of Ishmael, would all be part of the Israel of God because they are biological descendants of, of, of Abraham. And so thirdly, as we think about who Israel is, Jesus made it very clear he didn't come to establish the political kingdom of Israel. In John 18, 36 and 37, Jesus said, uh, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Meaning it's not centred in, it'll affect everything that happens in the world, but it's not based in any political entity or geopolitical boundaries. And then later on, Jesus rebukes Peter when he begins to, when Jesus is being arrested and he takes out his sword and he begins to fight uh, for who Jesus is and what he stands for. And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And so Jesus made it very clear that his kingdom, the people, the nation that he came, if you like, the, the people that he came to create wasn't about a political entity in, in, the, in, the, in the sense of a, a, a nation that we would, any one nation around the world that we would think of. But here's the clincher. Here's another significant thing that Jesus did that shows that um, what he came to do wasn't about restoring a national identity. First of all, he chose Simon the Zealot who was a, uh, to be one of his disciples. And the Zealots were an aggressive political group within the Jewish people uh, who uh, were 
passionate about the national identity uh, and religious life of the Jewish people. Um, and they were people who would despise even Jews who sought to make peace with the Roman uh, people who were dominating their nation at the time. But then a subgroup of this group of zealots who Simon was a part of, who Jesus called to be one of his disciples, called the Sakari, were, if you like, the first terrorists and assassin uh, uh, people who would assassinate people, whether Jew or other people, who were seeking to make peace with the Romans because there had to be this national identity of the pure national identity of the Jewish people. And so they would carry out violence and uh, assassinations to try and uh, create a, a nation and a religious identity uh, in a political sense at the time. Jesus had Simon the Zealot, who was part of this, if you like, political party as one of his disciples. And then he calls Matthew the tax collector, who's obviously in it with the Romans, collecting taxes for the Romans. So you've got this person who would, if you like, he may not have been one of the violent people who did the assassinations, but they were so passionate about not being part of, uh, if you like, um, uh, making any peace with the Romans. He calls um, um, Matthew to be a, di a disciple as well. And together they serve the cause and become part of uh, being leaders amongst the people of God that God is creating by faith, people of grace, people who live by the, the things that God says. Um, and uh, both Simon and Matthew together work together as part of the team that Jesus put together to bring about his kingdom, which isn't a kingdom and a national identity of this world. It's the people of God that he came to create uh, throughout the world. And so the Jews are not excluded from this grace and by faith they enter into all the promises of God's people. Jews are people, if you like, the Israelites, uh, are the, the true Israelites are the people of faith who are, follow, who are God's children because of what Christ has done for them. And then as we ask the question, as the Jews, if you like, refuse to receive in, in their larger uh, majority, refuse to acknowledge Christ. The question is about God's grace for non-Jews, for Gentiles. And I want to say, as we affirm God's grace is there for any Jew who comes to faith, so too God's grace is there and his eternal promises are for Gentiles uh, so that the whole world will be blessed. And I'm going to read the next short uh, next part of the passage where it talks about yeah. grafting in a wild olive branch now how many of you well I won't ask the question probably I hadn't thought about it until I studied this passage I thought what's a wild olive branch being grafted into a I'll use a term a domesticated olive tree <laughs> where um, why would that be happening what's the meaning of all that well when they were um, had their olive orchards and a tree after many years wasn't bearing much fruit it had lost its uh, its productive years and it wasn't uh, achieving what it was meant to achieve one of the things they used to do uh, was they would find a wild olive and they would graft in a branch from a wild olive tree and the, what it would do, and apparently this is, this is why they would do it, when they grafted in, if you like, the wild olive branch, it became, um, it, it increased the productivity of that, uh, restored, if you like, the productivity of that, olive, of that olive tree. 
And here's Paul saying, and let me, with that story and that understanding of the, how the Jewish mind would have heard what Paul uh, was saying here, um, the reference to the olive tree might have more significance if you understand that the wild olive tree, being the Gentiles, grafted in, creates far more fruit than if the olive tree had been left as it was with very few, if you like, believers. And here's Paul starting at verse 11 again, uh, or continuing on from verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, meaning their unbelief, uh, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches to the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean and Paul wanted to make his fellow Jews if you like uh, come to faith as they saw the salvation of the Gentiles saw them entering into the blessing and the joy of uh, being part of God's people Paul uh, in the in a positive sense was wanting to make his fellow Jews uh, if you like jealous and want to have what they're having I, I'd made a mistake once many years ago when Harry met Sally I'd heard there's a, a breakfast scene where someone's having breakfast and someone else seems to be enjoying their breakfast and and this person says I'll have what she's having and uh, the idea of you know you see other people I hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie I use that illustration just generally and half the church was sort of doubled up at the back wondering who this nut is up front but the principle's the same you see something that others have got and and you want it I, I still don't live that down that was 25 years ago and I still get paid out by my daughters but uh, and others uh, but the principle is there that uh, that uh, that Paul was wanting what the Jewish people would see in the Gentile believers and the fact that they were being included as the people of God, that he, that he, he would, uh, his prayer was that uh, his fellow Jews would come to faith. He goes on to say, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus to save some. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. Meaning, if the Jewish people are holy, then others who are grafted in will also be holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But then Paul makes a warning. No, there's no reason to look down on the Jewish people because he says, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the, the branches, meaning the original uh, olive tree. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Our faith comes out of the Jewish people. And uh, it's a big challenge to anti-Semitism uh, that was rife uh, in Hitler's day, even the theology of the church that had an anti-Semitic uh, strand at the time. And Luther was a, a key person with all the good things that he said and wrote. Some of the stuff that he wrote about the Jewish people, I, won't, I cannot repeat the words and the kind of negative things he wrote about their doctrines and their, who they were and how they uh, should be treated. And um, yeah, I, just, I won't mention the kind of things he said, but that was a big mistake by Luther because it fueled uh, anti-Semitism by those who read it. 
But here, if he'd have picked up what this is saying, it's clearly saying, we are blessed to be part of the people of God. Don't look down on those uh, who are also part of the people of God. And continuing to read from verse 19, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, meaning as non-Jews who have been included in the people of God, but fear, but fear, for if, or be reverent, for if God did not spare the natural branches, meaning the Jewish people, neither will he spare you, meaning those who refuse to come to faith. And here's God's amazing kindness in Christ, as I continue to read at verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen or refused to believe but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off meaning Gentiles and even though meaning those who refuse to believe and even they if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in meaning Jews throughout history just as much the people of God by faith as we are for God has the power to graft them in again for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Meaning the Jewish people, the welcome and the openness for them to come to faith remains there. They had failed to be the people of God. They were to be a light to the nations who lived out all the laws and all the, all the laws related um, to their religious ceremonies pointed to the coming of Jesus as their Messiah, the Saviour, the one who would bring salvation to the world. All their laws about how they lived as a people, all their social laws meant that there wouldn't be any poor amongst them. They would welcome the alien and a stranger. Uh, they would make them part of the community. They would care for orphans and widows and they were to be a light to the nations of how to live in a broken world and how much do we need that today and as the church and as the people of God those same principles of living out and reflecting the character of God in who we are as a community of people as believers whether Jew or Gentile is to be a light to the nations not only in holding up Christ as the one who has given his life for our salvation but also living and doing the things and having political views and and attitudes to one another and the way we treat our neighbours that is a light to the nations and people will want what we've got because they see that there is something deep and mysterious about the presence of God that changes us and transforms us to make us the people who reflect uh, the character of God as we are filled with God's spirit we will express God's kingdom in the world God promised Abraham that he'd have children like the sand of the sea that the whole world would be blessed through his seed through Christ through the people of God, both Jew and Gentile, who reflect, if you like, the, the character and the ways of God. In Ezekiel 36, verse 25 to 27, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Speaking of people who come to faith, who become part of the people of God, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and here's a verse part of it that's often not read and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws if the spirit of God is in us we will have a longing to do the things that are loving and kind and just and fair 
we will have a heart for what is right, not only for our, for our family members, for our fellow church members, in the wider community, internationally. If we have the Spirit of God, we'll have a heart for what is just and fair and compassionate and right in the eyes of God. If we truly have the Spirit of God, the measure of God's Spirit, and if we aren't doing that, we're quenching the Spirit. doesn't mean we're not, a, not believers or we aren't secure for eternity but we are quenching the spirit and we're not being a light to the nations if we fail to live out the things that God has called his people, both before Christ and since Christ, to live out and express in the world. And I finish by reading and pointing to the last part of the chapter. Here's, if you like, the eternal truth that comes through as uh, we look at the Jewish people who failed miserably in being what God wanted them to be. Even in our fail failure, as with the Jewish people, God will still achieve his purposes and work things out that we never dreamed of. If you like, the Bible, the New Testament talks about the mystery, the mystery of the gospel, that God will do and is doing something beyond just the Jewish people through all his people, both Jew and Gentile. He's bringing his presence to the whole world and blessing the whole world. But let's be encouraged as we look at the Jewish people they were exiled about 600 or around that time into Babylon in God's grace, not because they became good enough. 100, 200 years later, God brought them back into the land, so they returned to the land about 400 or so BC. There were several periods, Ezra and Nehemiah, different ones where they rebuilt the temple. It was an act of grace. God brought them as a nation back in despite their failure. So too for us. God does and works through us despite our failures however bad they are however horrific they may be God in his grace can still use you and God's purposes will still be fulfilled none of us in our failure will thwart the purposes of God and secondly as we read as I finish by reading the last part of the chapter no one is beyond the grace of God Jew Gentile the grace of God is there for all who will believe Starting at verse 25 and just reading uh, the passage that I'm asked to preach on finishes at verse 32. Let me read that. It says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters. A partial hardening has come from Israel, come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel uh, will be saved, Jews and Gentile believers together. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they, meaning Israel, are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So they're not excluded from the grace of God. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They have opportunity to believe, not cast aside from salvation through Christ. For just as you, the Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their, meaning the Jews' disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy, by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And then the final verse, For God has consigned all, meaning Jews and Gentiles, to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Take that word with you as you go this morning. Take that encouragement that no matter what's happened in your life or in this church or in 
your circumstances that God cannot that don't think that you are cast aside from God fulfilling his purposes for you personally or for us as a church and remember no one no one is beyond the grace of God I'd like to pray as I hand back to Mark uh, just to uh, lead us in a final time of worship you've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church to find out more or to hear other great content Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.